from the creators of Relevant Magazine. This is the Relevant Podcast. Tuesday, October 8th, 2019. My name is Jesse Carey, and you are listening to The Relevant Podcast. We have a very big show for you today, ladies and gentlemen. And joining me from Florida is our creative director, John David Harris. He's the man of the people. People call him J.D. J.D., welcome to the show. Champion of the proletariat. (laughs) Greetings. Also joining us from his ivory tower in Paris, France. Looking down on us. Tyler Huckabee. Tyler, welcome to the show. <laughs> brought me to like a like a member of the bourgeois. You are in Paris. You are in Paris because your wife is studying on like an abroad program for fancy people. That's that's correct. Yes, but France, uh, I think we remember, is the was the the site of its own revolution right after the American Revolutionary War. So I reject I reject this assessment of me as some sort of out of touch. Anyway, bonjour, bon amis. <laughs> out of principle, I have not studied the histories of any country but America. <laughs> Besides, <laughs> uh, also on the ones and twos, our illustrious producer Chandler Strang. Chandler, what's going on, man? Not much, dude. So, Tyler, you've now been in Paris. Uh, as as listeners know, you've been there for several weeks now. A little over a month, yeah. A little, a little over, over a month. month. Um, I want to know, what is the best thing that you've consumed? And a baguette, very large baguette does, that, does not count. Can I, can, I, can I switch the answer up a little bit? Sure. <laughs> can I try something? Can I, can I tell you the worst? Yes. Yes, two, please. Two, two, I'll, I'll make them fast. I got two contenders right now okay. for the throne. Uh, so one would be in my, uh, I ordered, it was like my first or second night here. We went to a pretty nice restaurant and I okay. ordered beef tartare. Uh, beef tartare here. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's kind of like, because I've had like, like fish tartare where you get yeah. like it comes out little chunks you get a nice little sear on it or something like that it's like sushi yeah. right yeah kind of sushi like and so i should have probably put together what i was getting myself into based on the context clues there but beef tartare looks like if, if you could google it you'll see just of like a, a pile of raw meat beef <laughs> like a, like ground meat and then there is a raw egg just cracked on top of like they make a little pool in it and then crack a raw egg in the middle of it and really? i thought there's maybe some sort of other process like a mongolian grill like type situation cooking? like yeah like now, <laughs> now i take it up to the i take it up to like the counter and they like flash fry it but no i so that was something i just had to eat yeah like several that. ways to, several ways to get salmonella in one meal well uh <laughs> thank you for that culinary lesson we have a, a fantastic show coming up if you have the latest issue uh, of Relevant, you've probably seen a feature. It's issue 101, which you can get now. Malcolm Gladwell's on the cover. You, but you may have read a feature with Jim and Jeannie Gaffey. And man, they have an incredible story of some things they went through in their personal life in the last couple of years and how faith and humor helped get them through. We're going to bring you part of that conversation coming up on the show today. So I'm very excited about what we're coming up. And guys, uh, Chandler, I... 
You know, usually in this segment, we like to joke around um, for a little bit before we dive into the content. Uh Um, But Chandler, I shared with you earlier Uh what I'm planning on discussing during the slices segment. And I'm I'm tempted just to blast right there because I'm very excited (laughs) about this about this story that's coming up. But before I do want to ask one thing, J.D., you made your debut recently here on the old relevant podcast. That's true. Uh, you were on a couple times. You're on with John Mark uh, McMillan. Yep. What? Ha- how has your life changed since then? Uh, <laughs> have our people, you know, what's your, has your your Twitter account? Is it tough to go outside because of the photographers? I mean, the photographers are weird, but I gained two whole Twitter followers, oh, which wow. which that means Dang. that means yeah. I have doubled. I have doubled. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I got a a a corrective tweet. It was the first uh, corrective tweet. Oh. Somebody pointed out that Mothman is actually from West Virginia, okay. not Ohio, mm. and um, and it was a little. I, you know, I have to give it to them. Mothman is more widely known from the Point Pleasant, West Virginia scenario. But I mean, there are historical references to Native Americans in Ohio actually seeing the Mothman before that. So, you know, whatever, you know. (laughs) Jamie, I know you're new here. I know you're new here, but we don't apologize for the things we get for so-called fact-checkers. We've abandoned fact-checking on this podcast long ago. A long time ago. ago. I mean, this is... The Mothman is not real and therefore can be wherever you say it is. <laughs> yeah, you know that. Well, hey, JD, you, you know might the great take thing, offense to that. You know the great thing about talking about things that don't exist. <laughs> you can literally make whatever backstory you want up because <laughs> because why stop the delusion at the existence? You know, right? Yeah. All right. Well, well, JD, we're 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 glad you 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 joined us again. Um, you know, has. Let me let me ask you this. You yeah. you appear to be drinking a substance out of a mason jar before yeah. we can see each other, uh right before we started. Are, is this some sort of uh home concoction made of uh, essential oils and uh yeah, pickle juice that's made to calm your nerves before you start recording? Um <laughs> it, no. looks like, it looks like you were drinking something on like that when you go to like a youth summer camp that they make a concoction and make someone drink it on stage as a dare. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that's, group, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the entertainment. Like, we used to do you know. the uh, the old um, uh, like who thinks they can eat a happy meal the fastest, and then all these kids would raise their hands, and then yeah. you'd pull a couple up in the front, and then you'd pull out a blender, and then you'd blend oh, the entire happy meal wow. together, yeah. like yeah. including the milkshake, heard that one. and then they'd have to drink that, and whoever could finish that the fastest. Mm. Would win nothing. Still, You'd win nothing. Still superior <laughs> to beef tartare. <laughs> that was the great thing. More wholesome meal. That was the great thing about going to like old school youth group camps. It's like yeah. it, it's it's clearly no thought was put. Like during the day, there's tons of activities. You know, you're playing right. ultimate frisbee. Uh, you know, you're doing trust falls and you know climbing on that big uh, obstacle course in the forest. You know, with pretty cool wearing old pretty bike cool. helmets and things like that but then at nighttime you know there's really nothing to do so <laughs> it, it was like well the entertainment tonight is literally just make something disgusting and make a child 
consume it in front of everyone. Then we're going to transition to a very hard sermon about eternal damnation. So we'll get them warmed up. We'll get them warmed it's up like, by, by making them drink the most disgusting milkshake ever and get some laughs. And then we're going to talk about the real possibility that everyone in here is, is going to be going to a very dark place. Every head bow, every eye closed. Yeah. The one kid still got like blended Happy Meal on his shirt and he just yeah. puked up and he's like, right. well, this, this night was a loss. Yeah, this, this, this is a weird night. I remember when, when like Fear Factor and all those shows came out um, yeah. Yeah. being very unimpressed because I was like, guys, I've been going to youth group for a long yeah. time now. Yeah. This is nothing. Yeah. This is yeah. nothing. You merely adopted the dark. Right. I was born. <laughs> Jay, I think I know you went. You spent some time at seminary, uh, yeah. I, but I picture like seminaries these days. Like you have like uh, you know. Uh, uh, Greek and Hebrew uh, lessons. You have, you know, apologetics 101, and then you have disgusting youth group icebreaker games. Like, you know, where so <laughs> well, I just picture like major. an old professor, like an old professor who looks like N.T. Wright. You know, like he's got the the, the British accent, and he's got a big beard, and he, and he's like, okay, so what you do now is you make the the shaving cream pie and you slap it in the face. You know, like. <laughs> At my alma mater of Moody Bible Institute, the easiest credits I ever clocked in were a class called Children's Games from Around the World, which uh, was exactly what it sounds like. Wow. Was just giving you fodder for those for those kids' games once you yeah. graduated. <laughs> Unfortunately, they were like it was supposed to be supposed to be like an international thing. Like everybody yeah. picked a country and brought games, which you know not nearly as interesting as American games, which involved blending foods and right. eating yeah. spiders. And, yeah, so. America is, I'm pretty confident, the only game where we destroy perfectly good food for the fun of it. You know, like there's yeah. literally they like, that luxury in other countries. It's like let's buy several dozen eggs that we know are just going to be tossed around a gymnatorium at the middle school uh, during some sort of crazy, wacky game. Yeah, sure, they could be eaten, but they're also fun to throw around. You know, like, it's, yeah, that's that's the other staple is wasting perfectly good food. So, all right. Well, I don't want to I don't want to belabor uh, the intro too far too much longer because I'm very excited about my slice. So next up, we have a very special edition of Slices. Listening to Angel Olsen. The song is New Love Cassette. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Tommy Newport with the song Sunshine. Tommy Newport. <laughs> he's, the, he's, he's an actual artist, right, Chandler? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. isn't Bobby Newport uh, Paul Rudd's character in Parks, in Parks and Rec? And Rec. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's that's my automatically association. Like, he seems like a character on a Michael Shore show, like The Good Place <laughs> or Parks and Rec. Tommy Newport or The Simpsons, for that matter. Like, I could see Tommy Newport sounds like a, uh, a pop star in The Simpsons universe. But good for him. He's a real guy. Um, all right. <laughs> It is time for slices. <laughs> it is time we're, we're for. Gonna end on, we're going to end on yours, Jesse. We should, you, we should probably end on mine. Yeah, we should okay. probably. Yeah, we should probably. Yeah, uh, build some suspense for our listeners. All right, Tyler, what, what, what do you got for us, man? 
Quick twofer. Quick twofer. Okay. Okay. Uh, we got two parts here. First one I want to bring up is a, a, a big day in, in the musical community here. This, this comes once every 10 years. Uh, Pitchfork. We all know Pitchfork. Right. We've all got it. We probably, probably yeah. got feelings. Oh, about Pitchfork not like musical magazine. like Broadway. Yeah. Okay. Musical, no, no musical. Like, the music. Okay. Yeah, this is not. This is not about Wicked. This is like, <laughs> okay. like the music. The music community. I understand. The, the I'm with music you now. Community. Uh, Pitchfork magazine, uh, known for being sort of like known as the hot take community. Like they have some really good music writing, but they're always, you know, they 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 like what everybody else hates, and they they hate what everybody else likes. That sort of thing. Well, they have released their top 200 albums. Of okay. the last decade, the, oh. the last 10 years of, hmm. uh, I was curious if anybody, we're not going to, we don't have time, unfortunately, on this podcast to go through all 200 of them. So I will limit, I will limit my reading to, uh, to just a few of them. I was wondering if either of you, we have three people on here, three guys with very yeah. good music tape. Very, uh, I was wondering if anybody <sighs> has any guesses. I'll give you credit for guessing anything that's in the top 10. Okay. So give me the time frame Everybody again. It's one guess the yeah. last 10 years. So 2019 nope. to 2010. Okay. Um, I would say everybody gets everybody gets one album to throw out there. Man, the last ten years. It's so hard thinking about. Uh, I know I, you forget kind of what's yeah. what's in the running. A- everything. I, I is, always uh, is yeah, lemonade always, in there. Uh, the Beyonce is lemonade is not. Oh, okay. okay. Mm. Um, the last ten years. I, I guess uh, Beach House Teen Dream. Uh, that is a good guess, but it is not in the not top, top 10. 10. No, no wow. beach house in the top 10. No way. Wow. Right. Um, I will guess watch the throne. It was that, is that watch in the, the throne is, is on the list, but it's not, but it's not, it's in the top, it's in the 200, but it is not in the top 10. Yeah. It's not mm. in the top right. 10. Okay. We'll throw it down real fast here. We'll throw it down for you. Uh, coming <clears> in number 10. Frank Ocean's Channel Orange. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, number okay. nine, D'Angelo, Black Messiah. Hmm, okay. uh, number eight, you got Robin and Body Talk. Number really? seven, this would be on my top ten, uh, Vampire Weekend, Modern Vampires of the City. Yeah. Number six, Solange's A Seat at the Table. Number five, Fiona uh, with the Idler Wheel. And then uh, number four, Kendrick, To Pimp a Butterfly. Hmm. Number three is Beyonce with her self-titled Beyonce from 2013. Mm. Number, number one. Number two is Con, number two is Kanye, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Oh, that one Coming at number good. one, kind of a surprise one, is another Frank Ocean entry, but it's Blonde. Huh. His Ooh, second two. and somewhat less less uh, earth-shattering album, Blonde. So those are the top ten, according to Pitchfork, which would be different than my list by, by a pretty significant margin. But yeah, yeah. but uh, huh. it's a big deal. But, but, but here's the, I mean, the thing about Pitchfork, Pitchfork... I have a lot of respect for, but for people that may not some great have, writers, some yeah. great writers, but, but, but really who do. may not have like as much of a history as probably a couple of us do kind of being involved in, in music and journalism for a long time. You know, the knock on pitchfork is, you know, they, they like being at times purposely contrarian, you That's know, right. Yeah. And, and yeah. they also, <laughs> they also have a tendency to be almost self-parody, but with no self-awareness. Sometimes, occasionally, they have veered into being into to not understanding how much they are they are hating something that not everybody likes, or praising an album that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, even their their ranking system is notoriously arbitrary. So they'll rank things on like a scale of like it's usually what one to ten, but they mm-hmm. move it like a decimal point in. So like you know an album 
album will get like an 8.7, but th- there's really no like clear delineation between, well, why did it get an 8.7 and not a nine or an 8.4? There's no, 8. explanation. Yeah, there's no yeah. explanation. And the other thing that they've been dinged for in the past, and I'm not saying they're going to do this to, the, to, the, to this particular list, and I'm not discrediting any artists on this particular list, but they also have been somewhat notorious for retroactively changing reviews for albums that either have aged very poorly or albums that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, are in hindsight, people look at like, you know, they were much better. They received much better than when they were released. Right. Right. Um, and, and that's yeah. but that's kind of fair. Right. Is you it? can like you can you can I think you can critically reappraise things down the road. You can admit that like oh we've there's there's like been a reevaluation and this was better than we thought it was or not as good as we did at the time. As long as you're honest about that, yeah, then, I think that would be the uh, thing. Is that it's like if you if you release it and then go back and change it and then you're like, what are you talking about? We always love this album. That's a little dishonest. Mm-hmm. But if you are mm-hmm. going like, hey, we're looking back at the last ten years and and. You know, we're not going to just take the reviews that we had given them at the time they released, but now here in retrospect, 10 years later, because I mean, um, nostalgia is a real thing and like you can have affinity sure. for something based on nostalgia. And I don't necessarily think that that's wrong. Um, I just, I think there's something to say for nostalgia and, and that nostalgic weight is real. And I think it's okay if people have nostalgic weight to their review process, if you're doing a retrospective kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fair. I think that's fair, but I also don't, but I like, I guess what I had, I don't like sometimes about art criticism because obviously it's, it's subjective, right? Like the entire process is based on taste and what, what you might like and what you see the artistic merits of. I might not. Right. But to so I could see like nostalgia coming in and bu- and making an album that you didn't review well, making that one uh, improving the ranking of it down the road based on nostalgic factors and saying, well, it actually had some influence here. So I think it deserves a better mm-hmm. ranking than we gave mm-hmm. it. But I don't like it when it works the other way, when it was like. Oh, well, you know, back in 2002, we thought Arcade Fire was really great. And this album was really good. But in hindsight, because and again, I have nothing against Arcade Fire. Just pull that name out. But because they're not cool anymore, uh, we're going to downgrade the ranking there. You know, an album that came out 20 years ago, like when it works in reverse, I think that just shows um, the the subjectivity and sort of like. Uh, the flaw with art criticism. It's like, how did, how did a piece of art become worse over time? You know what I mean? Like, especially in a relatively short time, like the course of a couple decades. But I think, I think I've had things that when they like the newness of them was initially really exciting and I liked them a lot and probably would have, uh, if I had reviewed them at the time, maybe I do have reviews like this published. Maybe they're unrelevant. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, like I was really, I really loved it. And then, uh, like, a re- if I had gone back and in, in retrospect, I was like, yeah, maybe I was a little like kind of captured with the spirit of the thing or the hype yeah. of the thing at the time. Or what about something like, uh, like the Michael Jackson um, controversy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. where like, you know, if you're just judging it solely on the merit of the music, you might be like, oh, I still love, you know, the Thriller yeah. album or whatnot. But you're like, oh, because of everything that's come out now, I, I've, I realize I don't want to like listen to that anymore, mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. it anymore, mm-hmm. and maybe that there's it's tainted in some way. So I do feel like there's there's some there's some give there. 
Sure. And I think it, I think there, there's a difference when there is like a moral or social implication of a piece of art that in hindsight is obviously problematic versus just this isn't cool anymore. But, yeah. you know, but it, it but as it pertains to this list, it's an interesting list. Uh, but good for Frank Ocean getting to do what you're talking about. Frank Ocean. What, what's your what's your second slice there, man? Really, really quick one, really brief. Uh, so this is a, this is a story that I read about uh, from our friends over at BuzzFeed News. Uh, so picture this, picture that, picture this. You're on you're on an airplane flight, and uh, and uh, you're next to this woman who does not is not her name. Uh, you can you uh, there guys at JD and Chandler. This actually happened in Orlando, so you can picture this pretty oh. easily being there in the Orlando airport. Um, she was. Uh, when when they were going, when a, another passenger came on, found out that this woman was sitting in his seat and the assigned seat. This was on a Delta flight, so there was an assigned seat. Uh, she said, "No, this is my seat." The uh, flight attendant asked for her proof to look at her ticket. She said she threw her ticket away, did not actually have it on her anymore. Um, she said, "Quote according to a video of the incident, she said, who knows where I threw it out? I just threw it out as soon as I got on the plane,' said, said the woman. Uh, but then." They discovered us. Uh, the flight attendant continued to question her, realized that she did also did not have any ID. She had never had a ticket. She actually was not in any had never been registered to be on this plane whatsoever, had somehow gotten into the airport through security and onto the plane without ever showing her photo ID or what? having a boarding pass to get on. How? When she was unable to produce an official ID, she tried to show a selfie instead. According to the video, the flight attendant said, according to the video, the flight attendant said, ma'am, that's not a government issued ID. That's a photo. And the woman, res- the woman responds, well, this is just as good. And the flight attendant responds, no, ma'am, it's not just as good. I kind of love this woman. Yeah, that takes a lot right. of moxie. That takes a lot of moxie to just pull out your phone and say, well, here's a picture of me. Isn't that just as good as a government ID? I, I mean, that's here, what I do when I get pulled over. <laughs> like, yeah. here, here is a picture of me in a Subway sub of the month punch card, which doesn't contain my name. But you see, someone put those five punches. Someone got those five stamps. Okay. <laughs> Someone put the five stamps there, officer. You explain it's, it to me. It's, it's do I need Ron to show you Swanson. another picture of myself? <laughs> yeah. Pretty big Ron Swanson. I can do whatever I want. No yeah. energy. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. But how did this woman get on it? They don't know. Like the authorities, yeah. including the FBI, is trying to figure out how this woman, who I, seems like very harmless, I don't, it doesn't look. She yeah. up to anything insidious, but she did manage to get all the way through Orlando International Airport without showing a boarding pass or having a state-issued ID on her. I can't figure out how... I don't know how I would get through, like, past the ticket line without yeah. one. Yeah, I, I've flown through Orlando International Airport many, many times, and it'd be, yeah. it's, it, would, it seems impossible that she would pull off this feat. I can only hope that it'll end up like a catch-me-if-you-can situation. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> yeah, that sure. in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio played a guy who was uh, like a great counterfeiter, and, and he could fake his way into a lot of situations, including being an airline pilot. And at the end of, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie that's been out for like 15 years, um, uh, at the end of the movie, he ends up getting hired by the fbi to to learn his ways that's right i hope this is the future for that woman that you, you know oh, yeah. that the, the tsa is like hey let's just hire her figure out how she does it and send her to different airports to test their security 
I, I'm fascinated by this woman. I'm fascinated <laughs> by, by all stowaways, but she almost got away with this. JD, do you think you would have any chance of pulling off what this woman did? I don't know. I, I mean, I would like to think I would, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I, um, I think what I, I don't know if I should say what I would do. I don't want to aid in the es- in espionage, yeah. but, yeah. Um, yeah. but I think We're on I, international waters for this. Right. Podcast. I, yeah. I feel like I've, I feel like the the first step would be to go through um one of those like clear yeah uh scenarios mm-hmm. not not sure, like go through sure. the traditional TSA checkpoints cuz those yeah. they like scan the ID and they scan yeah. the document those guys are really thorough but I feel like you could probably get somebody working their first day at the like clear kiosk yeah. and you might be able to just like scan your yeah. face and they're like oh yeah it's you and you're like woohoo and then you kind of walk through and they kind of buzz you through security that way and then, especially in a place like Orlando, I feel where there's like a ton of children and there's a ton of tickets being passed back and forth. I do sure, think you baby. could get through the gate somewhat easily if you just kind of lumped yourself in with a large group, um, wearing matching Mickey Mouse shirts. I think you could, I think yeah. you could slide in there. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I don't, I don't see how you would get through the traditional TSA checkpoints. I really don't. Yeah. I just love that she got this far. Obviously, she she's a pretty bright person to be able to get that far to be seated on the plane. And she didn't have any other backup plan than to show a selfie. At least that, that is funny. Like, that is like, funny. You need a contingency plan. Yeah. You, need, I guess, you do need a contingency. I do wonder if there's like the line there where it's like you get into a certain amount of trouble for getting on an airplane that you don't have a ticket for. But there's probably another level of trouble that you get into if you start showing like fake documents and fake IDs. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's probably at that point, uh, you know, more of a crime. Cause I, at this right. point, I don't think she's been arrested for anything. Like, right. I don't you're just think, like, look, I just walked on the plane. Yeah, they let me in illegal? here. Right. Yeah, yeah. If you let someone through, it's, it's not a crime. All right, JD, what do you got for us, man? Okay. So we all have favorite ice cream flavors. I would imagine. Jesse, what is your true. favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, I'm a big, I'm a big like cookies and cream guy myself. Okay, nice, you know? nice. Because it's like it's like two desserts in one. It's right, Oreos and milk and ice cream and, and cream. Yeah, exactly. Right, yes. <laughs> Tyler, what's yours? Of the like standard ones that are not like the weird, you know, kind of out there flavor, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but of the standard ones, give me, give me, uh, I'll go for a cookie dough. That's okay, good. nice, nice. Yeah. Have Similar, you tried? Yeah. Have you tried the speculus ice cream that they have in France? I know. I've okay, never even so, heard of it. So Speculus is like a um it's it's like a shortbread cookie kind of thing and they make an ice cream in France where they blend like cream oh. ice cream with this cookie. It's really good. That's a side. France, That's not my always, slice. France always overcomplicating stuff. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't your slice. <laughs> no, that, your that, slice? Was, that was my slice, guys. Yeah. You should try speculous <laughs> like ice cream. Right. No, um, I uh, I prefer uh, strawberry ice cream, but it's but only if it's okay. not pink. The not pink strawberry ice cream, the gotcha. one where it's like real strawberries blended. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, sure. for some of our more oh Chandler, what what about you? What do you like? Uh, it's chocolate chip, straightforward classic. Chocolate chip, yeah. chocolate chip, nice, yeah, nice. Basic. So for some some of our listeners, they may have a little bit more exotic tastes. And for them, I would like to suggest that they uh, take a trip down to Ecuador, where there is a lady who runs her own ice cream parlor that they serve a very special flavor of ice cream, a okay. guinea pig flavored ice cream. What? 
Yes. So hmm. guinea pig in South America is a delicacy. You know, okay. those cute little guys, they roast them up and, and eat them mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, tartar. Um, and what, what, what they, what this lady has done is she was taking an entrepreneurial class and they were encouraging all these, uh, young entrepreneurs to think out of the box with the products that they serve. And she had an ice cream stand. And so she was trying to think out of the box and she thought, Oh, I know what I need, what the world needs, guinea pig ice cream. So she takes guinea pig meat and turns it into like a pate and yeah. freezes it with milk and cream until it turns into an ice cream uh, type consistency. And she's selling it and people are loving it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Good she's for her. also selling uh, beetle flavored ice cream and uh, mushroom flavored ice cream. I think which... she has a future in youth ministry. Because I, I mean, there's a there's a there's a chance that would be the, that would be if she would partner with like the, the SBC. Oh I think that could be God. a really lucrative deal for all yeah. of them. It'd be great because you could like it's in Ecuador, so I'm sure there's a mission trips planned to South America. We've all been to some of those fifteen year olds walking way, through all day long. Yeah, exactly. You know, little puppet skits and stuff. This way, you don't even have to plan your evening activities. If yeah. you're down in Ecuador, you're staying at the like local YWAM base, and you just roll on over to this lady's ice cream stand, and you're like, okay. Whoever whoever eats the guinea pig ice cream the fastest, you know you you get to skip on the power verse recitation this week. While you guys are finishing up that guinea pig ice cream, I just want to say one thing: every head bowed, every eye closed. (laughs) (laughs) Things are going to get real here, very real. We're running out of time. Do you know where that guinea pig is right now? Uh, Can you say without a shadow of a doubt that you know where you will be if you were turned into ice cream? <laughs> One guinea pig is on the train tracks, and then there's like 50 guinea pigs on the other train tracks, and you've got the switch, and you can decide which one the trolley's going to run over. <laughs> and then you so- saw in the sand. There was only one set of guinea pig tracks. You realize <laughs> the guinea pig's been carrying you. I've lost the analogy, but just say this: every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse, I think it's time, man. It's time. It's okay. time. It's time. Is it time? Are we doing it? Yeah, I was going to have a twofer, but let's just jump into the one, that I, the, the good one <laughs> that I wanted to bring. I, I want to introduce uh, you guys to someone who is now my new hero. He's 73 years old. His name is Joe Bolf. Okay, Joe Bolf. Um, and he had a there was a South Carolina newspaper that did an extended profile on this gentleman because he has accomplished an incredible feat. He has turned the entire Bible into a rock opera. Uh, mm. It is um, it's 30 albums of music, 296 songs. Uh, and to listen to the entire thing takes 32 hours. And the only way to get it is to go to wow. his website and buy a flash drive that contains the raw files of these. Now, I, I was intrigued by the premise of the story. And then of I course. read about the life of Joe Wolf and do you guys ever, th- you know, like you, you think, OK, I've, I'm doing reasonably well in, in, in life. You know, I, I have a, a career that's fulfilling. I, I have a wife and, and, and children that I love very much, you know, and, and you kind of like I think I think I, I'm doing OK, figuring out. And then you read about someone and you're like, no, no, no. This this person <laughs> is this person knows what how a life is supposed to be lived. OK, 
That's what I realized with Joe Bull <laughs> is that the, 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 the Bible rock opera would be the, the exclamation point at the end of a, of a sentence of, of the story of a life. You know, the whole life would be building up to this life who, uh, and, and a purpose and a mission to, to turn the Bible into a rock opera. This is the rock opera is a mere footnote in this guy's story. Okay. <laughs> so I read, crazy. So, so I read I this story. Uh, so Joe's always been a musician. Um, uh, he was given a saxophone, learned to play it himself, and started a band in college called The Saints and the Prince of Darkness. They wore costumes on stage. Already great. In, in the late 70s and obviously <laughs> were very, very awesome. Uh, but unfortunately, The Saints and the Prince of Darkness uh, didn't pan out and he decided to get a job as a crane operator. So here's, here's Joe Buff, one of the great creative minds of his generation working as a crane operator. Okay. That's really, that's really like we got riches to rags so far. He was went from being in a very cool sounding rock and roll band down to probably a pretty a close to minimum wage. A saxophone player at that. So, um, I'm going to read a, a sentence from this extended profile of his local uh, South Carolina right. newspaper. The crane job paid well, but both felt frustrated and unfulfilled. He and his wife decided to travel around on their motorcycle to search for a better life. Here's a quote. I found it in Florida, both said. So here, so this is his plan. Okay. The rock band didn't work out. Mm -hmm. the, I'm not feeling this crane operator thing. Let's, Manual labor is not for me. Yeah. Let, yeah. This, this, obviously, people don't understand that they're dealing with a creative genius. So his plan is to get on a motorcycle with no plan with his wife and just, just hit the open road in search of a better life. Okay. He ends up at a campground in in Florida. There he meets a <laughs> he meets a wood carver. OK, he, he ends up uh, learning the craft of wood carving, including with chainsaws. So Joe Buff, obviously, obviously saxophone rock star turned crane operator turned, uh, uh, you know, open road drifter. And so he so he he later started developing his own style of wood carving. Here's a sentence from the profile. He learned so <laughs> he learned the art of applying gold leaf and began experimenting with chainsaw carving as well, creating everything from large bears to tall totem poles. Buff also started a nonprofit, the National Institute for Hospital Art, Music and Sculpture, with the premise that these three expressions of beauty have a healing effect. Buff even carved a band of moose all playing different instruments. This guy! <laughs> what a, I mean, he's already... At this point, the story could end. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know yeah. what Jesus you guys believe in, but my Jesus, if chainsaws were around, that'd be the kind of carpenter he was. <laughs> <laughs> There's also this line from the story. Buff built a recording studio in his workshop to record tracks for his moose band. It never explains what the moose band is, by the way. <laughs> no, he, carved, <laughs> he carved a band. In my mind, it was like a, a kitschy carving of like moose playing instruments, like a moose guitarist and a moose on the drums. For my understanding, but, that's what it is. But I don't know but why. But now there's also a real moose band with a, with a recording is it studio. Like the country bears jamboree or like the, the Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> the article never makes it clear. It just 
assumes that the reader knows what Moose Band that's a is key, referencing. That's a key journalistic failing. That's a follow-up mm. question at the very least. <laughs> so, you, so let me get this straight. You, you started this nonprofit to heal people in hospitals. And the means of healing is that you're going to combine art, sculpture, and music into one thing. And you're going to put it in the hospital and let people be healed by looking at it. The idea is to carve a rock band out of wood that look like moose playing instruments. Then, for reasons that are never made clear, you're going to build a recording studio for a wooden moose band. Okay, so that's where that's where we are in the story. And I'm already fascinated this guy by this guy. And we haven't even got into his his rock opera the lead. Yeah. So he he so again this guy is 73 years old right this mm-hmm. this his ambitions aren't slowing down so at this point he's got the recording studio he's already pretty much cornered the market on cool wooden moose sculptures so why not get go for a new challenge he begins <laughs> he begins recording the bible word for word and putting music to it. So the goal isn't oh. a reinterpretation so of the Bible. So this isn't a paraphrase. This isn't a Eugene Peterson type. No. The, when I was picturing rock is, opera, I was picturing characters like coming to life. You know? Like That's Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. but the whole Bible. But it's not yeah. that. Like, he, yeah. he My is, name is Adam, and I'm the first. Like, you, you don't actually do <laughs> yeah. the verses. You just yeah. yeah, it's not like it's not like the Planet of the Apes musical from or rock opera from The Simpsons. Like, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. No, this is a very literal... It's putting the Bible to music and, and to his you knowledge, can't improve, you can't improve on perfection. Exactly. It, it, it's, it, it's the infallible word of God. Why change it? You know? And so he, he began reading the scripture and started putting the whole thing to music. Uh, it didn't take long before he had 32 hours of, of music recorded. Um, I'm going to play a sample in a sec. Oh, please. But, but I, again, this dude is 73 years old. Right. He, I just and he started and he, and he built a, 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 he, he built a website. Uh, Chandler, it's the Bible rocks dot com. Is that is that that's the link yeah. I sent you, right? Yep. He started the Bible a website dot com. All right. And he wants other artists to do their own versions of rock and roll Bibles. Like this is sort of a, he's done his version to put it out in the world to inspire people. But he wants our other artists to do the same. So you go to the Bible rocks dot com and you can learn about his project. And you can also submit your own Bible rock opera. And his vision is that there will be a ton of rock and roll versions of the Bible. But I feel like we've learned about this guy's story. We learned about uh, his creativity. <laughs> I feel like it's time to listen to a track inspired by the I Sermon agree. on the Mount. I can't wait. Chandler, fire it up. And let's just let this one play for a little bit. This is great. 
And that's nothing, what I'm saying. Nothing wrong with this. Nothing there wrong isn't, with this. man. I, and, and I'm not making like I'm not I'm not like making fun of this dude. No, I, no, I am nope, literally nope, inspired by him. I'm impressed. He did the entire Bible like this. So what I'm that, curious about is how did Pitchfork overlook this? Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> I was, I was just going to say, time 10. to clear a spot. Sorry, Frank Ocean. <laughs> yeah, he he got two. You're a, you're a good guy, Frank. You're a good guy. But, <laughs> but this is the entire Bible. I would like exactly. to point out that there is a counter on his website and only 886 people have been to his website. I think we failed. Uh, him. That's uh, seven more since I, since I looked. Oh no, I got eight eighty six. So maybe it's it's picking up seventy nine. That's yeah. what it's saying on mine. So okay. good for him. Getting those yeah, views. exactly. Good for him, man. There, there are. This guy has accomplished in one lifetime, and he's not done yet. You know, he's in his seventies and he's oh. cranking out full, you know, thirty five hour rock operas. This guy has accomplished more in one lifetime than most of my entire friend base combined. You know, like <laughs> that, the Sermon on, on the Mount song is 13 minutes and 35 seconds. Yeah. Wow. So, what anyways, a cool way to like way. listen to the whole Bible too. Like I, I've got nothing wrong. You know, we, we love our friends at you version and all that. There's a lot of that Johnny Cash reading the Bible is pretty good, but this is, this is, I mean, th- this would be like on a very interesting way to drive across that when you have those, one of those long road trips, you can get through what, like, like, three or four books of the Bible, probably on a single road trip. And you're listening to some saxophone and sp- some saxophone centric rock and roll music the entire time too. This is what, what was Ron Swanson? What have I done uh, with my life? And what yeah. have I done with my life? What, what was Ron Swanson's <laughs> Duke, alter? Duke Silver. Duke yeah, Silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is like a real life Duke Silver situation. <laughs> anyway. And, and Duke Silver was a wood, was a work with wood as well. Mm, I feel like this is one of those things that you would find at the, the little, the spinning stands in like a Cracker Barrel store where yeah. they have the, yeah, the sure. different old CDs and books on tape and stuff. I feel like this is ripe for that situation. We need to hook him up with some sort of distribution deal and get this little USBs in the uh, spinny racks at uh, oh, yeah. your local. If anyone, uh, if anyone knows him or if anyone knows him before he hears this, we would love to bring you on to the podcast, obviously, yeah. to <laughs> tell a little more of your story. Yeah. Yeah. I would love yeah, to we have, have, Joe we have questions on. about the moose band specifically. I have some follow up <laughs> questions. <laughs> I, do, I would like clarity on the moose band situation. And I then don't, I don't doubt you. I don't doubt you. I just want to know more. <laughs> just, <laughs> you've piqued my curiosity, Joe Buff. You are magnificent. I'm curious now. where in Florida he's, he's located. Because if he's close enough, he can just come, you know, make it a in-studio appearance. Oh. I, th- I believe now he, he's he's relocated to South Carolina. Ah, but Joe it, strikes me as the type of man that he can make his way down south pretty easily. You know, <laughs> either on the back of a rail car or on a, like a non-street legal motorcycle. <laughs> I think I, I have a feeling Joe's the type, of, type of guy is playing by his own rules. So. Anyway, that'll do yeah. it uh, 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 for Slices. Go check out thebiblerocks.com. Next up, Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan join us. listening to dive the song is skin game 
Well, today's featured interview is brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an appealing online store, it's all included with the Squarespace website. Creating your own website with Squarespace is a simple, intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and features with the click of a mouse. You can even design a best-in-class online store with Squarespace's award-winning templates, customizable settings, and more, all without a single plugin including all the tools you need to track inventory, process orders, and send custom emails in one intuitive interface. Squarespace Commerce allows you to understand every aspect of your business. Go to squarespace.com slash relevant for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan are two of the funniest people in the world. You may know Jim. He's one of the world's most successful stand-up comedians, but that's largely thanks to material he's co-written with his wife, Jeannie. Uh, recently, however, Jeannie was diagnosed with a parasitized brain tumor. Uh, you know, it, it, she ended up having surgery and it has, uh, is still kind of recovering from the effects of it. Um, but the, the whole ordeal not only tested their senses of humor, it also challenged their faith. Uh, we recently talked with the couple about their faith and Jeannie's new book, which she recounts the experience. The new book is called When Life Gives You Pairs, The Healing Power of Faith, Family, and funny people. Um, it was uh, it was a real thrill. I've, I'm a. You guys are big Gaffigan fans, right? Oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I know you really you really love Jim Gaffigan, right, Jesse? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm I I love stand up comedy, and and the great thing about uh, Jim Gaffigan is like. Obviously, he appeals to sort of like non-comedy stops. You know, he's a guy who, mm-hmm. it, you know, his humor is pretty straightforward. His joke writing is pretty straightforward. But he also has like the universal respect in kind of the world of comedy because he's so good at uh, what he what he does. And that's why, you know, this interview is so interesting because, you know, this was this was a serious situation. And, um, you know, when yeah. when Jeannie fe- faced what was potentially a life threatening um, you, you know, health diagnosis, it really, uh, challenged, you know, their, a lot of their beliefs in, in a lot of ways, but they remain strong. If you listen to Jim's comedy, you know, you'll know that they're both, uh, he and his wife are both devout Catholics. Um, I asked Jeannie starting out the interview, uh, you know, what it did to her, her faith. And she, she kind of talked about how it taught her, uh, it taught her something about surrendering control to God. Here is what Jeannie said. The old cliche, like, God doesn't give you anything you can't handle. Um, I was like, listen, God, I know, like, there was a certain point where I was like, there was just no other choice for me. It was very clear that I couldn't just handle the fact that I was getting this adverse diagnosis. And I had all this stuff going on with Jim touring and the kids, you know, going through their own things and um, I just said, listen, God, if you don't give people things they can't handle, I'm just going to say, I can't handle this. So please handle this. And it was just kind of like this, this, this very frank conversation I had with God saying, I'm just going to turn over this situation to you and I'll work as hard as I can in whatever way you can guide me, but I'm not, there's no one else I can turn to in this situation. Um, and I think that in retrospect, looking at that, it made me realize that that's kind of like the, the ultimate faith is that you just, uh, you know, that I was able to just say, 
I knew that God was going to work this out in, in, in his will, whatever way it was, but I couldn't control, um, you know, the outcome. So in retrospect, like that whole, that whole sense of God is, it, you know, it's pretty much what I can explain my faith. It, uh, because there was no doubt that God was going to handle I didn't say, oh, is there a God? Because I had this bad thing happen to me. Like, it was so clear there was a God at that point. So it was kind of, instead of getting bad news and, and, and questioning faith, it was the opposite for me. I think that's such an interesting perspective that, you know, the diagnose, diagnosis wasn't, you know, why God or is there a God, you know, because in addition to, you know, being a couple and, you know, having these busy, successful careers, they're also parents of five children. And I think a lot of people, their impulse would be to question God. But, you know, her that idea of surrendering control you know, in the midst of a, a really difficult situation, I felt like it was pretty inspiring. And I wanted to ask Jim as well, how he reacted to the, the news and, you know, hearing his wife, her reaction and, and how she was reliant on his faith, how that affected him. And here's what, here's what Jim Gaffigan said. It's so individual, but I was, you know, it's, there's a, almost a calmness that overcame me that, um, you know, uh, I know that Jeannie kind of details her path, but there was something about Jeannie's um, deep faith and like the comfort and the peace that she encountered this, uh, that coupled with her overall bravery that reassured me. You know, I mean, she's also the woman that I married, you know, I lived across from a Catholic church for 15 years, never went in it, and then got married in it. Now all my children were baptized and confirmed in it. So it's like I kind of, uh, you know, follow the leader that I'm with. No, it's, it's interesting uh, to hear, uh, and I think it's it's got to be hard for some of these guys. I've heard some of them talk about it, how uh, when you're known for being funny, uh, whenever people hear your voice, they expect you to come in with a joke in pretty yeah. short order here, whether you're someone like Jim or Chris Rock or Jim Carrey and breaking out, especially for something very serious like this is really tough because there's, and I know you talked to them a little bit about some of the humor they found in it, but it's also obviously a very bracing situation yeah. that, um, that forces you out of that public persona. Yeah. And, and that their willingness to kind of talk about that of like, yeah, exactly. you, know, you know, this is a challenging thing, but it's either going to do, you know, a, a couple of different things to our faith, but they chose to take a posture of surrender and really relying on each other's strength to get through it. And, you know, Jeannie actually says, you know, kind of coming out on the other side, it's really reframed how she prays. And it reframes uh, of how she thinks about her relationship with God, especially as it pertains to the idea of Mm -hmm. gratitude. Here's how here's how she explained that. It took the me going through this crisis to experience like true gratitude. So I think that now my faith um, is is much more centered in gratitude than it is for about asking for things. So even though I didn't really wouldn't have defined my faith before as asking for things, 
ironically, me turning to God when I needed him the most and asking him to help me through it um, kind of uh, my faith through that whole process blossomed into this gratitude. So if, if I were to define my faith prior to this happening and after prior was my faith was more about asking for things, whether it be for me or for others, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But if I was going to define my, my faith now, it's about gratitude. I, I feel like that's such an inspiring perspective that, you yeah. know, when you yeah. realize, you know, the fragility of, of, of life and health and things like that, it really does make you appreciate things, mm-hmm. you know, all the yeah. more, you know, and I felt like the, I, I also want to ask kind of about the obvious question that you kind of alluded to, Tyler, is not just how they relied on their faith to get them through, but also them being professional comedians and comedy writers at, at two of the best yeah. in the world at what they do. How did humor help them along with faith? And here's how, here's how Jim Gaffigan explained it. The thing about humor is that it's kind of unifying in that it's, um, you know, it might be kind of in gallows humor, but it's also, um, an opportunity to alleviate the tension. Like, you know, no one doubts the sincerity of the concern or the, the feelings of, uh, fear. It's kind of getting some of it back, but I think Jeannie and I have, uh, such a close relationship. And so, uh, you know, have been writing together. So like when, as she pointed out, there was, you know, a book, Prior to the surgery, you know, and there were actually a couple of them, Jeannie went in for like this, essentially this full day of MRIs where they had to literally build her brain, a video uh, map of her brain so that they could practice the surgery like a video game. Um, And that was when she came out of that MRI, she was still on the gurney and she looked at me and she said, write this down. This is, these are observations on the MRI because I think it's just some, it's just kind of like a way of, you know, processing, processing, but also alleviating the tension. Like, you know, they can't take this situation, can't take the humanity away, you know, like the, the great irony that, um, you know, uh, a mother of five, like most people would find an MRI very loud and kind of, because there is a banging in there, but like a mother of five would somehow, you know, view it as a quiet experience is, you know, that's, you know, that's ironic and it's kind of humorous, but it's also, that doesn't um, devalue the fact that the, the, the severity of the moment. 
I think that's so cool too, that they can maintain this perspective of like always trying to find the humor mm-hmm. and irony in a situation, even when that situation is impossibly difficult. Um, but you know, they were, as you can kind of hear from the tone of, of the conversation there in those couple of clips, you know, they were incredibly transparent and, and, you know, uh, incredibly thoughtful when kind of reflecting on this experience. So if people want to read more of, of that conversation, check out issue 101 of relevant, uh, that's out right now. All right, well, that was The Gaffigans. Next up, it is our Listener of the Week. If you can take my hand I promise we'll find love again Love again If you can take my hand I promise we'll find love again all right, you're listening to Daniel Caesar. The song is Love Again featuring Brandy. Uh, all right, it is now time uh, for one of our favorite segments where we reach out to our, our listeners out there across the globe asking for their interesting stories. It's time for... You listen to the show and it's time to get to know you. It's a listener of the week. All right, so joining us all the way from, I believe, Hawaii. Is that correct? It's, it it's Anna. Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, pronounce the area of Hawaii you live in because you put it in in our in the exchange uh, the the direct message exchange on, on Twitter. But I don't want to butcher the title. What, what, what's the what's the, yeah. the town you live there? I live in Kihei, Hawaii. So that's specifically in Maui. It's probably good. Most people say like Kaihe or something like that. <laughs> what time so is what, it there? Yeah, what time it's is it? It's five o'clock, Hawaii? five a.m. Oh wow. Holy cow! Are you? Did you get up? Did you get up just for this, or do you usually rise uh, at five a.m. there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, it's kind of odd. I normally don't wake up this early, but I woke up for some reason at like four fifteen. Oh wow! Right when I and I saw your guys' message, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm going to get up now." (laughs) (laughs) Oh wow! This was fate. This This, this was. It was. was. God woke me up. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Anna, what are you from Hawaii or or did you move there? I moved here. I moved here about four years ago from Northern California, San Francisco area. What, what brought you, what brought you to Maui from NorCal? So originally I got a, an internship at the church I currently work at. Um, and through a series of events, my boss stepped down. Uh, They hired me on as a full-time First junior high pastor, and then um, uh, now I'm the communications and connections director. Very cool. Can Very I ask cool. you? A, can I ask you a question about your role there as a as a junior high pastor? And your former role there? Yeah. What is the what is the the craziest game that you ever made <laughs> your, <laughs> your your junior high students play? <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was actually like really, so I didn't grow up going to youth group. So I was not very good at like the traditional games. Oh, I was that's more a like, good okay, thing. let's like, have a, fun. That's a, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, a net, that's a net gain for you. <laughs> yeah. So I think the, the most crazy, the craziest game that my, my leaders brought out was this one where, um, they would put like, you know, those, those like pantyhose over people's heads and force them to sure. eat bananas through it. It was not necessarily like. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a big sloppy mess to me. It was, yeah. Yeah, it it was very, it was bizarre. It was very bizarre. That's I don't really know why Keith they group. did that or what the object of the game was. <laughs> it was probably more torture than anything else. I'm surprised we had kids coming still. So. 
Yeah. I take it there wasn't any sort of like, like there wasn't like a moral lesson there. And it wasn't like, this is just how Jesus did. There's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) This is how sin can slide its way into your life (laughs) and make a big mess of it. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't an object. Oh, it was the worst to clean up too. We had ants everywhere. Oh, Oh. I'm assuming this this game did not lead to revival breaking out there among the youth of Maui. <laughs> no, I think if anything, we lost a couple kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Anna, you, we asked you for three interesting facts about yourself. Um, and, and here they are. And I feel like, and this is the right order. Let's get warmed up with one. You live in Hawaii and you love swimming and surfing, but you have, uh, you are terrified of fish. What makes you terrified <laughs> of oh, fish? No. And does it hamper your life? Because it seems like if I'm someone who has a fear of fish, I'm going to stay away from small islands surrounded by the ocean (laughs) and a large amount of fish. Where did this fear come from? Okay, so I don't actually know where it come from. I think I need some more therapy in order to understand like the deep (laughs) roots behind this fear. Um, (laughs) It's it's funny because I grew up swimming. I love being in the water. Um, I like swam in the ocean in California all the time, but there's not really a ton of fish there. And if yeah. there are, it's kind of like murky and you can't see. So I never really experienced that kind of fear. Um, but I really think the root of it happened when I was like seven years old. We came to Hawaii for the first time. And uh, part of our trip was visiting this fish reserve where you a lot of people snorkel. Uh, it's called Hunama Bay on Oahu. And so we would go. And the, the first thing you have to do is state law. You have to go through this video screening thing to kind of just see like, oh, don't touch the coral. It's alive. And like there are dangerous things in the water. And so they showed my seven-year-old little eyes, this scary eel, um, you know, coming out from the rock and it's eels are just terrifying and I hate them. (laughs) And so I think my mind associated eels with all fish. Yeah. And so ever since then, I've just been afraid of swimming. I've like tried to go snorkeling. There's this place called black rock and I'll go out there with the goggles on. And the minute I see fish, I just, I literally freeze. I curl up in the fetal position I cannot move. Like it's terrifying to me. <laughs> now, let me ask this. Do you eat fish? I do. I will eat fish. Yeah. I feel like it's because I'm in control in that situation. Do you feel, yeah, some sort of satisfaction? Like you gross little <laughs> things, like I'm going to just destroy you. Does it, does it help the fear at all? No, I just oh. enjoy the taste. You know, <laughs> the funny thing is also, I'm not afraid of sharks. I've had the opportunity to swim with them. Huh. Um, yeah, and I think they're beautiful. I think we're definitely going to uh, recommend you do the therapy that you were suggesting there because that's very, it's good very bizarre. Anyway. And I, yeah. It makes me nervous uh, about, about some things. Okay. Uh, about a week ago, <laughs> you unintentionally started a stampede of 700 high school girls down one of the main streets in town there in Maui. Oh how did, how did this stampede of high school? It's, it's, I'm imagining like a, a Beatles concert from the seventies. Yeah, yeah. How did you start a stand, a, a stampede was, of 700 high school girls? Was yeah. Tim Shamalay in the area or what was, was there? A, <laughs> <or> was there? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So every, there's this um, swimsuit brand out here called Acacia and it's okay. pretty expensive, okay. uh, like $120 per, you know, top wow. and then 150 for the bottoms that you wow. have to get. Wow. So like each set okay. is about 250. Price. Um, I've wow. never purchased them because of the price and I work at a church. And so I definitely don't get paid that much. Um, mm. 
but every year they have a trunk sale that discounts it to where each piece is like 10 bucks or 20 bucks. Um, so it's a huge deal. It's like the black Friday of Maui, but one of my good friends who has a lot of connections on this Island, she actually works at the church too, as the worship director. And, uh, she was like, I have, I know exactly where like the town is, it's going to be in and we won't have to like wait that long. And I was like, okay. I was like, whatever, I don't have anything else to do. And so we, she calls me at 5.30 a.m. a couple Saturdays ago. And she's like, I'm heading over. Uh, I'll see you there. And so I find her. We're sitting in front of this little shack uh, that she knows is going to be the storefront for this brand within the next couple months. And most people don't know that. And so she's like, this is, has to be where it is. Because the, the, the location doesn't get dropped until like 8.30 most yeah. mornings. And so you have to wait for it slowly like girls come in and they're like, do you think this is where the acacia sale is? And then we're just camped out there. And so we're like, well, it could be, we don't know. So soon there's probably about by seven 30, there's probably about 700, 600 to 700 girls sitting behind us. We'd started this huge long line. Yeah. And then Haley gets a text from one of her friends, Tehani, whose sister is working the sale. And she's like, that's not the location. It's up the street a little bit. And so Haley and my, my other friends and I were just like, okay, what do we do? We have to like, not give out the location because then we might not be the first ones in line. We've been waiting here for so long. A lot of strategy, so, a lot of deception goes into this. You know, it was. We had to like be very careful about this. <laughs> they all intentionally left their towels, their like coffee, their food, everything. Oh, what? So it looks so like no they were coming suspicious. back. <laughs> the layers of this. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm good impressed. for you guys. Yeah. I get this so, call from Haley and she's got like this urgent tone in her voice. She's like, Anna. They're handing out wristbands. You have to come right now. You have to run. And so I like keep her on the phone because I'm like, okay, well, I have to, I'm leaving all of our stuff. And so I just left it all, everything that wasn't valuable. And I start like, I cross the street slowly. So as not to like draw too much attention to myself. And then right as I get across the street, I just start booking it up the road and it's uphill and it's about a quarter of a mile away. And it's, this town is like pretty hippie. So there's lots of like weird people on the street and, um, People are like stopping my, us. My kind of place. They're stopping me. They're like, what's going on? Like, why are they, why are you running? Why are there people like over there in a huge long line? And I was like, it's the acacia sale. Get out of my way. Like not anything I ever expected to do for bathing suits, to be honest, <laughs> nor will I probably ever do that <laughs> yeah. again. Because I started running, I turn around and I see just this stamp, literal stampede of 700 girls behind me. And oh, like wow. they're clawing at each <laughs> other. And it was just a madhouse. It was insane. All over bathing suits. Yeah. Uh, All over bathing suits. You know. But yeah, it was pretty good. It was a success. <laughs> well, okay. All right. Finally, finally, Anna, um, you and your best friend have WWJD bracelets that to you guys doesn't mean what you think they mean. And spoiler, you added this. It has something to do <laughs> with the relevant podcast. All right. Why? Oh. What is the oh, secret right, yeah. meaning? Is it some sort Talk of code? Is it some sort of code for a location of a swimsuit <laughs> sale? What yeah. is the? <laughs> what is I behind? Have a, I have a guess. Okay, I have a guess. Right, I, but I don't. I don't want to oh, say. It. I don't want to say. Okay, it. I want to see. Know. I want to hear the story okay. first, and then I'll just let you know if I was close. So I've been listening to the Relevant Podcast for about four years, um, and honestly, I just want to thank you guys because okay. it's okay. been such a like joy for me to have that um, as part of my life as like a regular thing to listen to. Um, it's, I moved to Maui oh, like four years ago. And so I kind of like started listening to it around the same time. And, you know, ministry is not easy. And so I always love having like this lighthearted, you know, podcast that I can listen to where people are still um, talking about the Lord and everything. Uh, so I've kind of um, not, I've become like a small kind ambassador <laughs> um, 
for the podcast so that everybody who listens to <laughs> oh, me well, thank you like talk about it. Oh, yeah wow. it's become one oh, of nice. the things i like share i'm like oh yeah i listen to the relevant podcast you guys have to you guys have to check it out and um part of that is um i call it the gateway drug to the relevant podcast is the <laughs> it's specifically the episode where jesse you talk about um the college situation with the bunk bed um because uh-huh. yes, yes. <laughs> I don't yeah, think I've ever wanted for a crime in the state of New <laughs> yes. York. Yeah. yeah, the crime. Um, I that, that episode specifically like made me laugh, and it's like eternally will be open on my Safari browser just so that I can show people, you know, the, the brilliance <laughs> of the relevant podcast. <laughs> um, and so I became good friends with my friend Annika. Um, she's like my best friend, and about a year ago. So I did the same thing. I was like, you have to get on this. Like we have very similar personalities. Um, and so I knew she'd love it. So I showed her that episode. She died laughing. Um, and since then we've kind of just kept up with the podcast together. So it's something we talk about. She'll text me like when the episode comes out, she's like, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened? Um, and it kind of became <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it was our conversation was involving like your stories, Jesse. And she'd always be like, we have to do things that yeah. have like Jesse stories. Like, Montana fireworks or like, we just need to do stuff that's crazy. Yes. Um, and so yes. whenever we're out, she's like, well, what would Jesse do? What would Jesse do? And like, we have to have Jesse's story. <laughs> and great. so, that is a dangerous road to go down. Yeah. I'm just warning you. Yeah, As a person who's hung out with Jesse a few times. <laughs> yeah. Anna, you... I, I love this advice and I actually should put, we should probably put WJD, WWJD bracelets in the relevant yeah. store because oh, if I can, if I can have my legacy be anything, <laughs> it's that live recklessly and, you know, roll the dice on crazy situations. Has, has that ethos that you've adopted, has it led to any, to any memorable experiences? Um, yes, it has actually for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like was at a baseball game a couple weeks ago on the mainland and one of the bullpen catchers threw me his phone number and I showed it to my best friend. And she's like, what would Jesse do? And so <laughs> because of that, I like, went on a date with this guy and like ended up down in the like the players dug like where they like come out the clubhouse, basically. <laughs> so yes. it has nice. yeah, led to some pretty oh, good situations right for me as a baseball fan and like a person in general. Yeah, what a great story. Well. Anna, I, I appreciate you being on and I appreciate you adopting that <laughs> that life ethos and may many more amazing stories uh, uh, happen to you soon. <laughs> Anna, thank you for being our listener of the week. You, I'm, un, I'm, I'm going to be unbiased here and saying you're the best listener unbiased. of the week we've ever had. <laughs> 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 well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'll take it. <laughs> Are you here that, guys? You hear that? That was a nice thing. That really, was, I, mean, really was, uh, I don't know if it's good advice, but it's a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a little... Uh, it's I don't know. I, I, it's I'm very inspired by it it's myself. A, Extremely inspired. She really, she really made my yeah. day. Really made my day. I, I, this is, my lawyers are giving me the look again. They, uh, like, they're rapidly waving their hands under their throat. <laughs> I, I think that's what attracted me to the Joe Wolf story. Because that guy gets it, man. He gets it. You know, mine will say, what would, what would Joe Buff do? And the answer is likely write a 35 hour, uh, rock opera based on the Bible. Yeah, so, uh, already, for all we know, you're already on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What would old Joe Buff do? All right. Well, I want to thank Squarespace for sponsoring today's show. Remember, you can go to squarespace.com slash relevant for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code relevant to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I also want to thank Jim and Jeannie Gaffigan. Remember, you can check out Jeannie's new book, When Life Gives You Pairs, which is out now. Uh, the subtitle is The Healing Power of Faith, 
family and funny people and also be sure to check out their interview you can actually read it on relevantmagazine.com go uh, uh check it out there if you're interested in more in that conversation also don't forget to subscribe and you'll get issue 101 with the gaffigan story and a whole lot more all right well that'll do it for today's show i'm jesse carey i'm tyler huckabee i'm john david harris i'm taylor string we'll see you guys on friday Blessed are the poor, yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the hungry, you will be satisfied. Blessed are you. Thank you for listening to The Relevant Podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Check out other shows from The Relevant Podcast Network in the podcast section at relevantmagazine.com. And while you're there, browse exclusive podcast merchandise at our online store. Make sure to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. Info is available at relevantmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. Great is your reward in heaven. That is how their ancestors treated the prophets. While you guys are finishing up that guinea pig ice cream, I just want to say one thing. Every head bowed, every eye closed right now. Relevant Podcast Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.